If you have a need in your life, could you just raise your hands right now? Thank you, Lord, right now. Mm. Your presence is here. Your power is here. Come on, if you have a need, I just, I just want you to raise your hand and say, Lord, I thank you for meeting it right now. We don't have to have theatrics. We don't have to have drama. We don't have to have a lot of things going on. The Lord is here in this room. Lord, I thank you for meeting every single need, every financial need, every relational need, every physical need. Thank you for doing it, Lord, right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord on Wednesday night? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you look like a Wednesday warrior. Come on, somebody. You look like a Wednesday warrior to me. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm glad that, uh, that you're here today. I'm glad that I'm able to be here. And uh, we're just excited about what God is doing at TPC. Amen. I just want to remind you, we've got some great, um, I, I meant to bring one up here and I apologize, but we've got some great invite cards that we've provided for you. They're in the South Foyer, North Foyer. Uh, just remember to take some of those, drive through, say, David, this is a small town. Everybody knows where we're at, but not everybody's been invited. Amen. I said, not everybody's been invited. And you know what's cool, you know, for us is we're brand new. I don't know who go to church. I don't I, I'm still trying to figure it all out. So I could just invite everybody, right? Oh, I know where that's at. Yeah, I know, but I'm inviting you. Come on. So take a few of those cards this weekend. Let's, let's, how many would just invite one person for Sunday? Just one person. Could you do that? Just one person between now and Sunday. Let's fill this house up and let's see what God is going to do. Amen. I believe that this is a great season for TPC and we're seeing God do wonderful things. If you'll turn in your Bible to the book of James, thank you pastor for allowing us to be here and be a part of what God is doing. Be thankful for your, for your pastor and sister Neelan. I'm very thankful for them, how much they love us, care for us, for each of them, for each of us, how much they're there's a lot of people who are good preachers, but a lot of times good preachers aren't good pastors. I'm thankful that we have a great pastor and a great preacher. Amen. I'm thankful for that. We're looking at James. We're going through this series, developing a faith that works. Everybody say that with me. Developing a faith that works. Because faith, it's not just enough for us to have faith. We got to put it to work. We'll talk about this later, but James goes on to say what? Faith without what? Is what? Dead. Amen. And works without faith is dead as well. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Everybody said that word me with me, temptation. For when he has been approved or tested, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tested, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt himself tempt anyone. 
But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be the first fruits of the creatures. We're going to focus in actually on verse 12 here tonight. Blessed is the man or the woman who endures. Everybody say endures. Temptation. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, none of us are exempt from temptation. You may be seated. I would dare say that the temptation, excuse me, is the oldest battle in the book. Let me say that again. Temptation is the oldest battle in the book. And I want us to look at what God says about temptation. Sometimes even when we know what's right, when it comes to temptation, it's difficult to say no. Oscar Wilde once said, I can withstand anything except temptation. If you know his lifestyle, you know he lived that out out loud. Why is temptation so hard to withstand? It is because it comes from the tempter himself and the enemy knows exactly what he's doing. Ladies and gentlemen, the devil, the enemy of your soul, knows how to strategize. He knows exactly what he is doing. The enemy is not firing random shots in our general direction. No, he looks for our weak points and the gaps in our, in our armor, and he knows where to aim, and he knows just what temptations to send. Our temptations are unique to our character, our life stages, our past history, our future longings, and they will change as we grow older. I know that I'm talking to a very mature and older audience here today, but ladies and gentlemen, I don't care if you're 95 or 5, we are all deal with temptation. Just want to clarify that because we all deal with temptation in some shape, form, or fashion. And it doesn't matter the size. The size of temptation is irrelevant. A third of London was destroyed and burned to the ground in the 1660s just because a few hot ashes came off of a baker's oven and burned that city to the ground. Sometimes temptations don't look so obvious, look like an undetected health condition working away without anyone knowing it. Some of our biggest temptations may be growing unseen in our hearts. It might be ambition, pride, discontentment, or even ingratitude. And they're so hard for us to identify. Even when we suspect that they're there, we want to wave those things away. And we tell ourselves that we're imagining things or we're just dealing with small problems. And there's nothing to get worried about or respond to. And ladies and gentlemen, often our temptation is to tell ourselves that there is no temptation. But the Bible says there talks about two different kinds of testing. One is trials. The other is temptation. Both of them have the same word in the Greek. It's there in your notes. Sometimes it's translated trials. Sometimes it's translated temptation. It doesn't matter because sometimes a situation can be both a trial and a temptation. But to distinguish them, trials are situations designed by God in order to help us grow. 
Temptations are designed by the enemy in order to cause us to sin and to fail. Let me say that again. Trials are designed by God in order to help us grow. Temptations are designed by the enemy of our soul in order for us to cause us to sin and to fall. But James says, the most, one of the most practical apostles says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. First, it says blessed. That word literally means happy. Happiness comes from having our life under control so that no bad habit that is devastating to us. Too many times we say, I can quit this at any time, but we don't and we can't. And, we, and what we can't quit and what we can't stop doing controls us. It also says there's a crown of life. In the Greek, this literally means life itself. James says when you understand temptation and when you overcome it, when you learn to say no, then you begin to really live. There is a crown, and it is a, an abundant life. Jesus said what? I came. The enemy came to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy, and he will do that through temptation. But Jesus said, I came to do what? Give you life, and that life is what? More abundantly. So the question is tonight is this, how do I handle temptation? I'm glad that you ask because James gives us five principles to handle temptation. Number one, and it's in your notes, be realistic. In other words, face the facts that you will all be, all of us will be tempted. Ladies and gentlemen, even good seasoned Christian believers are tempted. So it's when we are tempted, not if we are tempted. It's just like trials. Temptations are inevitable. Have you ever met a pious person, and I'm sure that you have in your life, and said, well, I thank God that I have not been tempted in 42 years of serving the Lord? You know what that is? That's a cross between a crocodile and an abalone tuna. It's a crocabalone. You haven't heard baloney used in a long time, but it's a bunch of baloney, all right? Why do I say that? Because everyone is tempted. You're tempted. I'm tempted. Every day tempted. And in fact, if we're super passionate about deepening our relationship with God, the enemy is not going to stand still and let you do that. He is going to throw everything he can at you as you try to deepen that relationship. And the more that I grow and the closer that I get to God uh, and the deeper that I get in fellowship with God, uh, there's going to be things that come against my life uh, to try to draw me away from him. Amen. Amen. There's going to be things that we're going to be tempted with. See, I want to just clarify this point right here. I think most of the time we think of temptation as something that is sexual or alluring. That's only one part of temptation. There's a misconception that says once you're born again, you've got it all together. You've arrived, so you fake it and make it and wear a mask and pretend and say, how could anybody do something like that? Ladies and gentlemen, we are all tempted. First Corinthians, Paul says, there is no temptation that has seized you except what is what? Common to man. In other words, we're all in the same we all have the same challenges and the same problems. So don't be surprised. Don't be shocked when we all have the same struggles and problems. It is not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to give in to that temptation. Let me say that again. It's not a sin to be tempted. We are 
faced with temptations all around us 24 hours a day. It is a sin to give in to that temptation. The Bible says that even Jesus was tempted. Hebrews 4, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet he, what, sinned not. He was tempted, but he never gave in. It's a sin to give in to your temptation not to be tempted. I meet a lot of people who call themselves believers and Christians and who are tempt, who are intimidated by temptation. They think, how could I have such a thought? Let me tell you how you could have such a thought. Ladies and gentlemen, till the rapture happens or you leave this world, this flesh will always be flesh. Your spirit man is redeemed at justification, but your flesh, you're walking in 24 hours a day. What do you mean, how can you be tempted? Temptation only proves that you're human. Not evil. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in to that temptation. Number two, you got to be responsible. Everybody say, be responsible. We have to accept responsibility. In other words, we can't blame people for our own problems. And you know what? We love to blame people. It's the original game from the garden forward, right? You've heard pastors say it before. You know what blame means, right? Be lame. You'll get that. We love to blame people, even God. But James says, when we're tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God does not tempt, but we love to blame others for those temptations uh, and when we give into it. You know why? Because we already live in a society of irresponsibility. We blame society. We blame the government. We blame the environment. We blame heredity. We blame our parents. We blame our spouse. We blame the devil. We even blame God. Some people say, well, it must be God's will or he wouldn't have let it happen. No, that's called blaming God. When we make bad choices, then we blame them on God. But God does not tempt us into sin because if he did, that would contradict his word. The Bible says something and you say something different, then guess what? You're still wrong. We have to be responsible. Everybody say, be responsible. If I go home tonight and I eat a pizza at 10 o'clock, I have to take on the responsibility that it may affect me at midnight. And guess what? It's nobody's fault but mine. Are you with me? I said, it's nobody's fault for mine. I am at fault for eating the pizza at 10 o'clock. Now, it was good in the moment, but it's when you pay the price later. Are you with me? And I could blame my wife. I could blame Alex. Alex made me do it. No, 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 no. That's my responsibility. The Bible says something and we say something different. We're still the ones that are wrong. And so we cannot blame God and we cannot blame other people. It's a sign of immaturity. The fact of the matter is this, is I bring most of my problems on myself. Can I say that again? I bring most of my problems on me, myself. So do you. We bring them on ourselves. And so if we're ever going to break those bad habits and I want to get rid of those things, first of all, I must be realistic about temptation. I must be responsible. Number three, I better be ready. I must be ready. When temptation comes, be ready. Be prepared for it. 
The apostle Peter says to be on your guard. Jesus says what? Watch and pray that you enter what? Not into temptation. Paul says you've got to, and we don't have time to get into this, but you've got to put on the whole armor of God. And let me tell you something about putting on the whole armor of God. We, we don't have a lot of time to go there, but putting on the whole armor of God is not something that you do every once in a while. You're, somebody with me here tonight? I know it's Wednesday night. Putting on the whole armor of God is not something we do every once in a while. Putting on the whole armor of God, we better put on the whole armor of God every single day. I said every single day, the helmet of salvation, right? The breastplate of righteousness, the shoes uh, of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth. We better take up the shield of faith uh, every single day. We better learn how to yield the spirit, the word of the spirit uh, every single day. Why? Because we're in a continuous battle every single day. I, 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 I know that we feel like we can cruise along and there's good days and we want you to, I'm, I'm all about having good days and I'm I'm all about sleeping uh, in, in, in the hammock on the beach and feeling the ocean breeze. But let me tell you something. The reality of the spiritual world is this. It's filled with darkness. It's filled with things that want to try to destroy you. It's filled with things that want to try to lure you away. It's filled with things that want to try to tempt you, that want to try to take control over your mind. I know I'm not, I'm not coming to be negative, but I want to come and I want us to be aware. This is a fight. And the enemy don't don't take a day off. Uh, he don't take a vacation to Tahiti. Uh, he never gives up. He never lets up. Uh, and so every single day, uh, I must be prepared to fight the fight. I must be prepared. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to be prepared. Each one of us is tempted when by his own desires, uh, he is dragged away and enticed. Uh, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. The problem and the challenge with deception is we don't know when we're deceived. Temptation does not warn us in advance that it's coming. One of the reasons it's a temptation is because you don't even know it's there. And it catches us by surprise. That's why I have to be on guard. I have to be ready. And a lot of times we are at our most vulnerable after a tremendous success. We're at our most vulnerable when we're coming off of our highest moment uh, and we think that we're doing well. Uh, but the Bible says, let him who thinks uh, he standeth take heed lest he fall. I read a story about a guy who went over the Niagara Falls. If you know anything about that, there's a very low success rate. He went over very successfully in the barrel and then two days later, he slipped on an orange peel in his kitchen and fell and broke his leg. You'll get the irony later. I'm just simply saying, be ready. Don't be deceived. How do we prepare for temptation? How do we get ready for it? We prepare by te for temptation by understanding how temptation operates. 2 Corinthians 2 and 11, in order that Satan may not outwit us, we are not aware of his schemes. God wants you to know how the enemy operates, how he tempts you. And the only thing that you can say about the enemy is that he is good at temptation. At least the enemy is consistent because he's been using the same tactics for over 2,000 years. So recognizing temptation is the beginning of the battle. Everybody say you got to recognize it. We must know our enemy before we fight him. We won't make any progress unless we understand that specific temptations all have the same root temptation. And that root temptation is unbelief. 
Whether we are tempted to pride or to despair, lurking beneath them all is the greatest temptation that Adam and Eve and all sinners like them face to refuse to believe that God is God. How so? If we despair that our lives are lives of insignificance, we forget that God, it is God who gives us value. When we are puffed up with the delusion of our own glory, we refuse to believe that God is true and alone glorious. When we nurse a vengeful spirit, we fail to trust that God is a righteous judge. When we play with sexually impure thoughts or give in to their drives, we refuse to believe that Christ has redeemed our bodies as well as our thought lies uh, for his own possession. Temptation takes root where we allow the seeds of faith to wither. That is why we need the shield of faith. Everybody say the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Because only believing in the promises of God will deliver us from danger. You see, temptation is a process. Temptation is not a one-act thing. And James underlines four steps. We've put them there in your notes that the enemy uses in order to tempt us. Verse 14, each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desires. The first step of temptation is desire. Everybody say desire. In other words, it's an inside job. Most desires are okay, and we could not live without desires because God created us with desires, a desire to drink, a desire to sleep, a sexual desire to accomplish, to have success. God gives us all of these desires, and they're good gifts, and they're good desires. But hear me very carefully. Any desire out of control can become destructive. You see, fire in a fireplace is a good thing. Fire in your curtains is not a good thing. What's the difference? One's under control, one's out of control. So God put, God put desires in us, all right? They're God-given to us. But when we let them rage out of control, that's when they become destructive to us. You see, Satan loves to take routine desires and turn them into runaway desires. We, what we are consumed with and obsessed with. We can be consumed with food. We can be consumed with or obsessed with work. We can be obsessed with having fun. We can be obsessed with sex. We can be obsessed with money. They're all legitimate desires. But when they run rampant and out of control in our life, then they become a problem. Why? Because temptation is like steel in a magnet. There's an inward and an outward part. There's an outward circumstance. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something and hear me very carefully. There's always an inward drive. And if it wasn't for that inward drive, you wouldn't be tempted. It always starts on the inside. Tap yourself on the chest. It always starts on the, in my heart. It's often the fulfillment of this legitimate desire in the wrong way at the wrong time. It starts with that desire. The second part of that past desire is deception. Everybody say deception. He is dragged away and enticed. James uses a couple of terms here from the sports world. The word dragged away is a hunter's term that literally means snared in a trap. How many of you have ever seen an animal that's still alive but it's in a trap? Anybody? It's not, a, it's not a pretty thing. How many of you have caught a fish lately? Brother Kellogg, where are you at? There you go. It literally means lured by bait. And you see, the secret of great fishing is in the bait. And if you use the right bait, you get what? The right kind of fish. How many fish would you catch with the bare hook? Probably not very many. 
I know I've been duck hunting with only a couple of decoys, and I did a whole lot better when there was about 50 decoys out there. Right? Why? Because there was something to snare or to trap. What kind of bait does the enemy use on us? Never underestimate the fact that the enemy knows our hot buttons and he knows our weaknesses and he knows inside and out and he knows what turns us on and he knows what we will fall for and he hides his hook in his bait and the bait appeals to your weakness. I hope I can help somebody here tonight. Right? Bookstore. Ooh, oh, that looks good. I'm going in there. Do I have money to buy books? I still need to buy groceries? No, but I think I can buy at least one or two books and everything will still be okay. The enemy knows my weakness. Right? How many of you have ever been fasting? You've been trying to be super spiritual and all of a sudden at the job, somebody brings a bunch of cupcakes. Or donuts. They don't bring them any other time except when you're fasting or trying to lose weight. Am, can I, am I talking to some real people here tonight? Huh? It's our flesh. And the enemy, if he knows anything about us, he knows our flesh. And he knows what we'll keep nibbling on. And we'll keep nibbling on it. How many of you have ever fished? And the fish, brother... Uh, Brother Kellogg, yeah, I just said it a while ago. Brother Kellogg, how many of you, you fished and it just keeps coming back and he nibbles and he nibbles and he never takes a hook, but he just keeps nibbling. And all of a sudden you pull the hook up and there's like one little piece of bait left on the hook. And the, am I the only one that that's ever happened to? Because I feel like I'm an idiot if that does. I, I hope I can get some testimony here tonight. And you know what? The enemy does the exact same thing to us. But here's the thing about the enemy. He lets us nibble, but he always knows when to set the hook. See, a lot of people say, it's okay. I know when to stop. And what I'm doing is not hurting anyone else. Let me tell you, like I told you a while ago, what we can't stop or don't want to stop will always control us. Why? It starts with desire. The enemy moves to deception. Temptation always looks better than it really is. And desire turns into deception and deception always turns into disobedience. Disobedience. Then after desire has conceived, it gets first birth to sin. What begins in my mind results in an action and it starts in my imagination. And the battle, ladies and gentlemen, the battle starts right here. Just kind of pat yourself on the head. The battle starts right here. This is the most dangerous battleground in your life. And if you'll win the battle here, you'll win it everywhere else. Amen? First, the enemy gets our attention. Then he gets you to have an attitude, and he gets you to commit the action. And he knows if he can get your attention, he will eventually get you to commit the action. People say, what's in the dangers of a, what's in the danger of a harmless fantasy? What starts in your mind eventually comes out in your life. Can I say that again? What starts in our minds eventually comes out in our life and it always begins in our imagination. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you why I know that this is powerful because people, companies still spend millions of dollars in advertising on television. And you know what? There's a reason why. Because they know 
that what are they doing? They're enticing you to buy something, right? How many of you have ever started thinking about buying a new refrigerator or a new car? Anybody? You ever, you ever had that? And you think about, man, it would be cool to have this such and such kind of refrigerator that I saw at Lowe's while I was passing by, and I had no business passing through the refrigerators, but there it was. I really don't need a refrigerator, but there it is, and it's cool. And then all of a sudden, that refrigerator's everywhere. You see it advertised on TV. You see it advertised on Facebook. Are you with me? Amen? Are you thinking about a nice, brand-new black Ford pickup? And all of a sudden, driving down the road, you see like 17 Ford pickups. Am I, am I the only one? Why? Because our mind has now become tuned in to what our desire was. Are you with me? That's why the battlefield right here is so powerful. And we're silly to think that the enemy doesn't do war against our mind every single day. The Bible says that what starts in our mind eventually comes out in our lifestyle. Desire leads to deception. Deception leads to disobedience. And disobedience, ladies and gentlemen, I have to unfortunately tell you, leads to death. Death, sin, number four, sin when fully grown gives birth to death. That is the tragic consequence of giving in. That's what losing the battle causes, devastating results. What is death? Well, I didn't physically die. You may have not physically died, but you know what? You stopped living. If we overcome temptation, we get a crown of life the life more abundantly, but the wages of sin are what? Death, spiritual separation from God. And James says, hey, you know what? You're free to choose any way that you want to live. You can make all the the decisions that you want to make. God gave you the freedom of choice. You can choose any way you want to live, but guess what? You're not free from the consequences. Just like I used a while ago, the the simple illustration, I can choose to have pizza at 10 o'clock, but I'm not free from the consequences at midnight. That pizza sounding better and better every minute. <laughs> Doing war in my mind. In order to overcome temptation, in order to break a bad habit, first I've got to be realistic and admit that I have a problem. I think this is where we break down. I know this is very practical teaching. I'm, I, 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 the challenge is, is a lot of times we don't want to stop and look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I have a problem. And you don't even have to tell anybody. It does. The Bible says it does you good if you will confess to somebody. Am I right, Brother Glenn? It, the Bible does tell you it does. You know why? When you confess to somebody, it gets out in the open. But a lot of times we don't even do good about admitting it to ourselves. We don't even do good about taking our Bible, opening it up, sitting in a quiet place and say, Lord, you know what? I'm struggling. In fact, I'm struggling so bad, I'm going to write it down here in my prayer journal, and I'm going to ask you to deliver me from it because I can't fight this battle by myself. All of a sudden, though, we find something interesting. Verse 17, James seems to switch gears. It's like he mysteriously turns the corner. Then he starts talking about the goodness of God, and it looks like he's forgotten about temptation. But verse 17 says what? Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like sifting 
shadows. James is talking about temptation, then all of a sudden he begins to reflect and redirect our thoughts to what? The goodness of God. He's talking about something negative, and then all of a sudden he's talking about something positive. There's a reason here, because number four, if you're going to fight temptation, you got to get refocused. Everybody say refocused. If temptation begins with our inner thoughts, then changing what we think about is the key to overcoming it. Change your thoughts, change your life. Let me say that again. Change your thoughts, change your life. You need to write that down in your notes. Change your thoughts, change your life. What if I can't think the right thoughts? Then equip your thoughts with something else that you're not thinking. And that means what? The word of God. You have to change your attention. You have to change your attitude. You have to change your focus. Uh, Let me tell you something. It's easy to drift when you get into a current, uh, but it's hard to stop in the middle of that current and fight to get past that current. Why? It's easy to drift, uh, but sometimes you've got to stop and say, I'm going to change the way that I'm thinking uh, about this situation. I'm going to stop and change the way that I'm thinking about this circumstance. Uh, I'm going to stop and I'm going to change the way that I'm fighting this battle. Uh, I've been fighting this battle of addiction of XYZ uh, for all this long time uh, and it hasn't gotten me anywhere. So guess what? I'm fixing to change my direction uh, and I'm going to fight it a different way. But you got to change what you're doing. You got to change your attention. You got to change. You got to shift your attention. The Philippians 4 says, think on these things. And I don't have a list to, to, but you can go there. Think on these things. If they're good, if they're positive, if they're praiseworthy, if they're honest, uh, focus my mind. I've got to focus my mind uh, on the goodness of God. Uh, when I get down, when I get defeated, when I get depressed, when I get into that place that feels like I can't even dig myself out of, all I can do sometimes is just simply sit in a chair in a dark office and raise my hands and say, Lord, no matter how I feel in this moment, I know you're still good. I know you're still for me. I know. We got to fight the feeling. Everybody say fight the feeling. You got to fight what you're feeling. Who am I preaching to here on this Wednesday night? You got to fight and shake yourself out of all the garbage and the delay and the disaster and the circumstance and say, God, if it's just me and you, I'm going to come out on the other side of this and I am going to be victorious. I don't care if anybody's for me. I don't care if anybody's fighting alongside of me. I'm coming out of this. I'm coming out of this. But you got to turn your attention. You got to refocus. You got to get your eyes off the negative. Some of us need to turn off Fox News. Some of us need to turn off CNN. Some of us need to turn off Facebook. We got to do that. Why? 
I'm not preaching against it, but you got to turn your attention away from the things of this world. Turn your eyes off the things of this world, as the old song says, and put your eyes on Jesus. I can't fix China. I can't fix Korea. I can't fix failed banks, but I know what I can fix. I can fix my mind on Jesus. I said I know what I can fix, and I can fix my mind on Jesus. Am I a chronic? Are you a chronic warrior? It's because we're doubting. You know what worry is? We're believing that God got it wrong. I'm preaching to myself now. Are you a chronic warrior? It's because we doubt the goodness of God. See, whatever gets our attention gets us. What it, did you hear me? Whatever gets our attention gets us. And I'm going to tell you something else. If it keeps your attention long enough, it'll get your worship. Because all of a sudden, we'll be at an altar of worry more than we're at an altar of worship. (laughs) I said, before long, we'll be at an altar of anger. Before long, we'll be at an altar of unforgiveness. Before long, we'll be at altars that we were never created to be at because we're not at an altar of worship. But you got to keep fighting. Everybody say, keep fighting. Just refocus and keep fighting. Look at your neighbor, punch him in the chest. I mean, punch him in the shoulder and say, uh, keep fighting. So you got to focus on what you, you got to focus on what you want. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I'm making a choice to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm making a choice that I will bless the Lord at all times. I'm making a choice that his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm making a choice that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to get in God's word and I'm going to get God's word in me. And I'm going to get God's word in my mind. And I'm going to refocus. And I'm going to quit fighting on feeling alone. I'm going to equip myself with God's word and resist. But let me tell you something. If you ignore it, it will weaken you. See, don't try to don't try to argue with the devil. He's a lot better at it than you are. He's had thousands of years of deceptive experience. So what you have to do is you have to refocus. Don't want to get stung? Don't pick up the bee's nest. Want to change your habits? Take a break from social media. Take a break from YouTube. Take a break from Netflix. Take a break from shopping on Amazon. Take a break from the cupcakes. Hallelujah. First Corinthians 15.33 says this, bad company corrupts good character. Sometimes you just got to take a break from people. Oh, I wish I had time to go there. It's called boundaries. You don't stop loving them. But you sure can put a healthy boundary in place. Maybe we just need to be redirected. He chose the next verse. He chose to give us birth. Circle that word birth. Through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit which he has created. He's not talking about physical birth here. He's talking about spiritual birth. So number five is this. We must be reborn.
We must be reborn. You've heard it this way. You must be born again. The single most important principle in breaking bad habits and getting control of our life is to let God have control of our life. When we get him in our life, he can start changing our character. Being born again gives us a new capacity to resist temptation. Pastor said it a couple weeks ago. I want to reemphasize it in a different way. You and I do not have enough power in our own willpower. I, I love willpower and I love positive thinking. I want you to read all the Norman Vincent Peale books you can. I want you to do all of that. But guess what? There's always a limit to what you can do for yourself. See, there's more to living and overcoming life than just positive thinking. We must have supernatural power. Are you with me? Jesus, Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Nicodemus is a religious ruler. He didn't want to be seen by any other religious rulers, so he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. And Jesus tells him, Verily, verily, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus says. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say to you, no one, not even enter, not see, but enter into the kingdom of God unless you're born of what? The water and of the spirit. Paul is writing to the believers in Rome. And in chapter 8, and he reminds us of the power of a spirit-filled, spirit-led life. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So what is Jesus saying and what is now Paul saying? The only way, ladies and gentlemen, to be truly free from the power of our flesh is to be born again by the power of the Holy Ghost. The law of the life in the spirit does what? Sets me free from the condemnation of the law and the spiritual curse of death. Someone once asked, do I need the Holy Ghost to get to heaven? Honey, you need the Holy Ghost to go to Walmart. Why would I not want everything that God has for me? I said, why would I not want everything that God has for me? If he's got the Holy Ghost for me, fill me up. Why? Because it is the power of life ruling and reigning over the power of sin and death in our lives. What is the most vulnerable area in our life today? What is our weak spot? Guess what? The enemy knows it, but God knows it too. Have you figured that part out? If you haven't, you need to because once you've figured it out where you're weak, you will know when and where you're most likely to be susceptible and vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Be realistic. I know some of you I, I have to know just by teaching and preaching for a lot of years now, some of you, when you read the title, you already turned it off because you have all the answers to temptation. But you don't. 
And the Bible says the person who thinks they have no sin, they're fooling themselves. I'll put it kindly. Where is the area of our problem? Where do I lack self-control? Is it my temper? Is it my appetite? Is it my spending? Is it my words? Am I continually talking about things that I will say and later regret? Is it drinking? Is it drugs? Is it lustful thoughts? What is the area that Satan knows is my hot button and he's always baiting me in that area? You got to figure it out and you got to admit it to God and you've got to say, God, you know the areas that I've fallen in and I've stumbled and I fell, but I want a clean slate and I want to start over. I've got to get free of all the things that are in my past. I must have forgiveness because I know it's available. So understanding that then salvation is the first step to true victory over temptation. I love what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Did you hear that? God is faithful. In other words, God equips us with the strength to go through what we're going through. Can I say that again? God equips us with the strength to get through what we're going through. You say, I couldn't help myself. Oh, yeah, you could help yourself. It was too strong of a temptation. I just couldn't help myself. God says, no, that's not true. You're depending on yourself instead of God. But God says, if you'll come to me and say, hey, I surrender this to you, I'll make a way out if you'll trust me. In fact, there is hope and you can change if you want to. But you must, hear me very carefully, let Jesus change you from the inside out. See, we can't pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation and at the same time be cooperating with the temptation. Some of us are flirting with the temptation in a lot of different areas. All Satan is doing is baiting the trap. What is it in your life that you want life? What is it in you, in your life, that you want so badly that you're willing to compromise in order to get it? Promotion, a thrill, a sin, confess it to God and let him take over. Martin Luther, the great theologian, says we cannot keep the birds from flying over us, but we can keep them from making a nest in our hair. You cannot live in a temptation-free world because it's all around you. It's not a sin to be tempted, so don't be intimidated. Two resources that you need to fight temptation, and I'm closing if Ashton will come. Number one, you got to have fellowship with other believers. You and I cannot make it by ourselves. We were never meant to fight this battle alone. If you think, man, I wish you guys were ready for me to be real transparent. I just, I don't know if you're ready or not. I don't know if you'll still love me past tonight if I get real transparent. Because, you know, I'm a human being. Put my pants on. One leg at a time, just like you do. One of the greatest victories over temptation and addiction I ever had in my life 
I never broke until I went to my wife and I confessed to her my addiction. And I took a risk. Two years into a marriage, I took a risk. But the moment, Brother Marshall, that I confessed it to my wife, and she kept loving me anyway and praying for me anyway, that addiction was broken. If you want to know what it is, I'll tell you after service. It's part of my testimony. But it only happened. See, I hid it. It was in secret. I was good at hiding it. But the only way it was broken is when I let it publicly come out of my mouth to my wife. And I confessed. If I don't stop, this is going to destroy our marriage. And I've got to have you to help me. And in that moment, on that night, I can take you to the place at a little bitty apartment in Houston, Texas. Only two or three years into our marriage. She laid hands on me and she prayed for me and she loved me. But brother Rob, I guarantee you, I would have never broken that addiction if I had not publicly let that come out of my mouth. You think you can fight this battle on your own? Go ahead. You're fooling yourself. I don't care how mature you think you are, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to have somebody in your life that believes in you, that will fight alongside of you. You know what he's talking about here? You know what Paul's talking about? You know what James is talking about? He's talking about a fight. They were surrounded with brutal men. Roman soldiers. You ever seen a Roman soldier fight? You ever seen them fight shield to shield, back to back? It was brutal. But that's exactly what James was talking about. That's exactly what Paul was talking about when he said, take up the shield of faith. Not some little dinner dish shield. No, I'm talking about a full shield that you can hide behind. And not only that you can hide behind, but that you can get next to each other. Come up here, brother Jimmy. Is it Jimmy? Come up here, brother. Sebastian. Brother Glenn, come up here. Come on. You know the illustration, but I'm going to keep using it. Just lock arms. I'm a lot stronger here than I am out here. Did, did y'all not hear what I said? I, I know you ate your cereal and you read your newspaper this morning and everything was fine. We're in a fight. I didn't come here to be negative. I came here to wake somebody up. The days of playing church and playing Christian are over. We are in a fight. And I can be out here and I can be super Christian and I can, I can be super pious and I can say, oh, yeah, you don't have it like I have it. Or I can be honest about my struggles and I can link arms and I can get up in a shield and I can say, you know what, God, we're in this together. We're going to fight this together. I can't fight it by myself, but I can fight when I have somebody alongside of me. Come up here, baby. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm trying to close. Let me step down here without breaking my leg. Let me tell you something about my wife. 
People ask her all the time, do you play the piano? Nope, she can't play a thing but the radio. Can you sing? She can sing. Chooses not to. But years ago, she said the Lord reminded her last weekend when she went to Louisiana camp what he called her to be. He called her to be a preacher's wife. Poor, poor soul. <laughs> you know what her gift is? In the middle of the night, Pastor, I feel her rubbing on me. And I know she's not just rubbing on me, but she's praying for me. You know what her call is? Her call is to be alongside of me for the fight. Who are you fighting with? Look at this room. This room is filled with people. I don't know you. I don't know most of you. I'm trying to get to know you. But let me tell you something. I'm not afraid to get in the fight with you. You need somebody to fight with you? I'll fight with you. You need somebody to fight with you? And this woman, they'll fight with you. I'm talking about your pastor. They'll fight with you. They've proven that to you. What are you saying, David? I'm saying don't fight alone. Don't try to do this alone. The enemy is a better tactician than you think he is. And he knows. Come down here, guys. So you know what? The enemy shouldn't see us by ourselves. He should see us together. Right? I said he should see us together. So if you're alone or you feel alone, tonight's your night. Admit what you're going through. Lay it before the Lord. You don't even have to say, you don't even have to come and bring it to me. Thank you, guys. You don't have to come to pastor, but you can say, Lord, I can't fight this fight alone. Who have I preached to tonight? Could you just stand? Lord, you know I didn't mean to say all this stuff. But somewhere, somehow... I hope somebody's heart in this house will take your word and get a hold of it. You equipped us with the power of your spirit. You equipped us with the power of faith. You equipped us with the power of belief and trust. And we're not standing alone. We're not standing alone. Could you do me a favor and just take two minutes and walk to the front of this room right now? Just walk to the front of this room. If I preach to you, if the Lord has spoken to you. Could you put your arm, if man to man, lady to lady, could you just put your arm around somebody or in their arm, arm to arm, or family to family? Come on. I know I'm asking you to. I know I'm begging you to, but I want you to know you're not alone. We feel strong tonight, right? We feel good tonight. Wednesday night church, we came to church. We feel real spiritual. But tomorrow, we're going to need some help. Tomorrow, we're going to get up and we're going to have to do what? We're going to take up the shield of faith again. We're going to have to put on the helmet of salvation again. We're going to have to put on the breastplate of righteousness again. And we're going to say, Lord, I, you know what? Here's what you need to pray right now. Lord, I give you this fight. <laughs> Come on, somebody. 
I give you this fight right now. My weakness, my struggle, my addiction, my pain, my hopelessness. I give you this fight right now. Now pray for the person standing next to you before we leave tonight. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the spirit of encouragement, Lord, right now, breathing upon. I pray for strength, Lord, right now. Allow us to realize we're not alone. We're in this fight together. We're in this fight together. We're in this fight together, Lord. You're with us. You're for us. You're not against us.